Hey, so this week marks the beginning of our Christmas season, and we, we talked about doing so many different things as far as a theme for this year, and uh, simply put, we just landed on a simple Christmas. And, uh, and so today, I'm going to talk about a, a couple different things with you, and uh, I believe it's something that's going to really speak to you today, because it's something that has really spoken to me. Uh, and so when you look back at the Christmas season, uh, it doesn't really start right away with the birth of Jesus. I love it because 700 years before the birth of Jesus in the Old Testament, we see where uh, it was presented that the Lord would come and how he would come to be about. And I absolutely love this entire idea and concept of what it was that took place. And so we're going to talk about that today. So 700, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Then again in chapter 9, verse 6, we see this, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then at the exact same time, around the same time, uh, there was a prophet Micah, and he also spoke uh, about the coming of Christ. And Micah had this to say in chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. How incredible of a proclamation is that, that just out of this, this small little town, this small little community, something so great is going to come from you. But then he goes on and uh, he foretells something else that's getting ready to take place. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand as shepherd, his flock and his strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through the fortress. He will raise against them seven shepherds and eight commanders. There is so much to unpack and unfold in that. But what I love about that is that Micah is really setting the scene here. He's saying, look, this is what you have to look forward to. But there's also going to be some trouble in that time. There's also going to be some, some, some issues that are going to take place. So, so we're going to jump forward now into the New Testament before I do a little bit of teaching today. Um, and uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It's not going to be up on your screens, so if you have your Bibles, you can flip to it or jot it down and read it later. But here it is. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to a guy named Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had mind to divorce her quietly. He thought he was going to do her a favor. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, 
Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave the name Jesus. Man, I absolutely love this, because, because here's what we're seeing. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this is foretold that the Savior is coming. He is going to be here among us. He's going to be here uh, with us. And, uh, but, but it sets the scene for something that's even bigger that takes place. You see, there, there is a point in Scripture that there is a gap. And a lot of times it's not really talked about ever, but there is an intertestamental period of time where between the Old Testament prophets and the, the writing of the, the last writings of the Old Testament and the new writing or the appearance of Christ in the New Testament. So there's a span of 400 years where they believe that in this time that there was not a prophetic word spoken by God to his people. Could you imagine going 400 years without God speaking to his people? What a troubling time that had to have been. That period of time goes from uh, the period of Malachi's time, which was 400 BC, uh, to the preaching of John the Baptist. And so you can kind of see what this is. And, and this time period is also sometimes referred to as the 400 silent years. So I'm going I'm to teach a couple things today uh, to you about this time period, and then we're going to go in a little bit deeper. But, but for some of you students in here, you might have you heard some of these names before. And so Israel was under the Persian Empire at this time. And uh, in this time, the Persians allowed the Jews to practice religion with little interference at all. So they went on to, to raise up temples and to worship in the temples together. They continued to meet in homes. They continued to, to go through the customs that they had inherited through many generations in the past. The last 100 years of the Old Testament and the first 100 years of the, the intertestamental period was this time frame that the Persian Empire reigned. And so, so really what we're seeing here is, is about 100 years into the Old Testament, the last 100 years of the Old Testament written, into the first 100 years of the silent period is, is where you see this Persian Empire reigning and uh, what they were doing. But then things began to change. So now we're talking, we're, we're now going into year two of or year 200 of this intertestamental period and uh, we see somebody by the name of alexander the great uh, you might have heard of him in school alexander the great defeated darius of persia and when alexander the great defeated uh, uh, darius of persia alexander brought then greek rule to the world and so alexander was a student of aristotle you may have heard of Aristotle before. Aristotle was this great Greek ruler. And so because Alexander was a student of Aristotle, Alexander was well-educated in Greek philosophy and politics. And so he really liked the idea of what the Greek culture promoted, and he wanted the Greek culture to be required to be promoted amongst all of his people. And, and so 
as a result of this, the Hebrew scripture, the Hebrew Old Testament, was then translated into Greek because he wanted everything to inherit the Greek culture. And so most of the New Testament is referring back to the translated uh, phrasing of the Greek Testament. So a lot of it doesn't go back to the Hebrew version. It goes back to the Greek version because that is what was implemented and pushed forward into existence. So Alexander did allow religious freedom for the Jews, though he very strongly promoted that that they needed to live a Greek lifestyle. So I'm okay with this as long as you live this Greek lifestyle. But here's the, the issue with this, is that this was not a good thing for the Jews, you see, because the Greek lifestyle is, is very worldly, humanistic, and it's ungodly. Point blank, it's just ungodly the way that they acted and the things that they would do. And so it, it, it was just this big conflict of, of how they were being asked to act and to live and how the culture should be versus what they were taught to how, that, how to live, act, and, and move. And then a few years later, we, we have this, this king, King Antiochus Epiphanes, and uh, as he comes in and, and he starts to, to rule over, he did something quite different than what uh, Alexander was doing. He came in and he refused religious freedoms. For what the Jews were living and what the Jews were doing for so long, he came in and and put a complete stop to it. That they would no longer be able to worship in temple. They were no longer uh, able to worship their God. Uh, In fact, he even went as far as to go in and desecrate the temple. uh, And he defiled it with unclean animals and and placed in pagan altars and, and all sorts of stuff. He literally went in and destroyed every single thing that they had to offer. Anything that made them who they were was now completely gone. Their culture was ripped away from them. Their, their, the, the person that they worshipped, the, everything just gone. But there was a group of Jews that said that this is not how we are supposed to stand by and allow this to happen. And, and, and they stood up to us, and this, Judah, uh, this leader, Judas Maccabeus, he, he went in and he battled. He fought. And there was this time of of about 150 years before the coming of Jesus that it was just complete turmoil. There was full of war and violence and, and infighting and all these different things were happening. And because of that, because of Judas Maccabeus, they restored the rightful priest and they rescued the temple. Now, then a couple, couple leaders later, and we see this, that Pompeii of Rome conquered Israel, putting all of Judea under control of Caesar. This eventually led to Herod being made king of Judea by the Roman emperor. So a little bit of learning today, a little bit of teaching today, as we see all these different empires and how it affected the church as a whole as it moved forward. But I want you to hear something here. The reason why I believe it's so important for us to hear those things is not just to have knowledge, but listen to me. They were going through it, but they had hope. You see, Isaiah, Micah, they, they, they prophesied. They said, look, this is prophetic word from our Lord that he is coming. He is going to be here in the flesh. And they knew this. They knew what was coming. And so as they're battling, as they're going through it, as everything is being ripped away from them, they also had hope at the coming of their Lord and Savior 
The 400 years of silence of the intertestamental period were broken by the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, how stinking cool is that? Go 400 years, and all of a sudden, the greatest thing that ever happened to us. It's so incredible. But I want you to hear some other scriptures this morning as we dive into this a little bit, because I want you to hear something right now. You might have been hearing some of this stuff going, man, turmoil. Like, I see that happening in the world a little bit right now. I see some crazy things happening right now. Man, like, like what's going on? Well, I want you to hear something because there's some prophetic words spoken in the New Testament as well. So they hear that the coming of Jesus is, is coming in, a, in the form of a baby, and they look forward to that. They have hope that Jesus is coming. But check this out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 10, you got the disciples that are chilling there. They're hanging out, and they're literally watching as Jesus is ascending into the sky. So it says this in verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. I mean, think about that. They were looking intently. Like there was a purpose behind saying that word, intently. They were looking intently. They were, they were focused in on what was going on. And here Jesus is rising up into the sky. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I just, I just envision this happening. Like they're just sitting there just going, oh my gosh, like what is going on? And then all of a sudden these two guys in white come and stand next to them like nonchalant, just chilling like, hey, what you looking at? And they're like, look. And, and, and the two guys, that, I, I love this because as they, as they, as they speak, they, they say, that's men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Like something really cool is happening. And they're like, why are you just sitting here looking, looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. So now, prophetically speaking, we're sitting here seeing this, that Jesus is going to be coming back? Like, I love this idea here. All of a sudden now, we're, we're, we're looking into something here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we, we read this, according to the Lord's will, uh, the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from the heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Oh my goodness. So here we go again. Like, what are we encouraging ourselves with? What, what does our hope lie in? Our hope lies in the fact that the Lord is coming back. Like, we lie in the hope that we know where our future lies. And so all this battle that goes on in the Old Testament, all this battle that goes on in the space between, all of a sudden, all, the, all this hope that they have, listen, we have. We have. We know that, that the Lord is coming back. It has been promised to us. And in Revelations chapter 22, verse 20, it says this, he who testifies these things says, and this is in red lettering, which means this is of God. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Whew. Man, yes, I am coming soon. He will be back. You see, when we look back at the silent years period, we know that the people had hope and prophecy that the Lord would be here in all of his glory. And I'm telling you this, that today we have that same hope. 
You might sit here and think that your life is just full of shambles and all these crazy things are happening and going on. But I'm telling you this, there was a lot of craziness that was going on then too, but they had hope knowing that our Lord was coming in all of his grace and all of his fullness, that the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, that he would be here with us. And so we have that same hope knowing that he is going to be back with us. He is always here with us, but man, I just can't wait till that day that I get to be face to face with my Lord and my Savior. But I want you to hear this, that through all this chaos of the times, through all of this turmoil and all these evil things of the world, take hope knowing that the greatest story is, is, is still being written. He is still moving and he is still working today and big things are still happening. But listen to me, I know that you're sitting here today thinking, man, I have all this turmoil in my life, all this craziness is happening. But I'm gonna tell you something that I have learned time and time again reading through scripture. I'm not talking about just, just personal testimonies because I can give you that too. But I'm telling you through scripture time and time again, when turmoil was taking place, when craziness was happening, that's when the Lord was working because turmoil, leads to transformation. And, and I'm telling you this right now, if you find yourself in a place where you're just seeing nothing but turmoil, I'm promising you this, there's transformation coming. But it's what transformation you're seeking for is sometimes not the transformation that's going to happen. You've got to allow the Lord to work in the way that he's going to work. The Israelites had no idea that in the time of all their turmoil that they were going to be rescued and sent across the, a body of water that was going to be split for them. Nobody in, the, in their right mind would have ever thought that that is how the Lord was going to work. So sometimes in our lives, we're going to try to dictate the way that God's going to work and the transformation's going to take place. And all he's wanting to do is part some waters for you. So I'm telling you today, if your life seems like it's full of turmoil, if you just can't seem to get away from it, have hope and know that God is there. So I'm going to ask you a question today. If you have your notes, I want you to, to write this down. If you've got a cell phone, I want you to put this in there. But I want you to be 100% honest with yourself this morning. This isn't about me. This isn't about the person sitting next to you. This is about you and God. So I ask you today, where does your hope lie? Where does your hope truly lie? Does it lie in the worldly possessions or tradition? Or does your hope truly lie in Christ? I'm going to tell you today, if, if, if you're sitting here and you're just like, man, I just can't see anything past all this craziness. I want you to be real honest with yourself on where your hope's lying right now. Is it lying in a political party? Is it lying that, that, man, if things would just change this way, that all of a sudden things would look a whole lot different? Because my God is so much bigger than any of that. My God is so much bigger than any worldly battle that's taking place. He's so much bigger than any spiritual battle that's taking place with you. Have hope and know that Jesus is here and he is with you. Everything that we do in this world points to this day. That was something that I wrote down on Monday. And I really didn't know the context of it. I prayed on that quite a bit. Everything we do in this world points to this day. Why this day? 
But I want, I want to reveal something to you. I want to tell you something that, that God really has laid on my heart this week. Why this day? Because tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's never a guarantee. And so if we sit here and we say, I'm going to live my life to the fullest so when I'm 75, this is the outcome of it. We're living our life the wrong way. If we lived our life day by day, living it for today, where do I stand today with my Lord and Savior? Where do I stand today with my family? Where do I stand today with my friends? Where do they stand in their, in their relationship with Christ? What can I do to affect this day? And then when we're blessed with another day to live, then what day should that be? It should be the next greatest day because you have another opportunity to better things. Listen, you might sit in this room, you might be online right now saying, I have an amazing relationship with Christ. Like, man, things are great. I'm telling you, it can always get better. There's never a point that you just kind of plateau and you hit like a, a wall and you're done. Like, that's just the relationship with Christ. It's not that way. We can constantly strive to get better, to dive deeper, and to create that relationship in bigger and better ways. So I want to challenge you that this morning as we get ready to leave. What is it that you can do today that will affect your spouse, that will affect your life, your family, your friends, your neighborhood? Today. How is it as a church that we can, we can make an impact for the day? We keep looking into the future and the future is good because we can use what we've been given. We can use the strength that we're given day by day to propel us into the future. But the greatest impact happens today. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for giving us this hope that you will be back. That all this chaos of our of our bodies, our, our aching knees, our hurting backs, our vision issues, our sickness issues, whatever it might be in our lives, Father, it's all temporary. The heartache, dealing with friends, dealing with family, the anxieties, the depressions, all these different things that just seem to plague us, that it just seems like we get tied down with at times is just temporary. We look forward to that day that we get to be with you and, and all of your greatness. That we'll be so excited to be in your presence that it won't matter who's there with us. That we know that we are there with you. And so I pray today that if there's somebody in this room, somebody online who when they look at themselves and they say, man, where does my hope lie? If it's not yet in you, I pray that you make a way today for that to be the case. And I pray that we're honest with ourselves, that we don't just give ourselves the churchy answer because that's the right answer. I pray that we're honest with ourselves so that we can make a change for today. I pray that we're honest with you and the things that we need to change, the things that we need to work on, the way that we can be better with you. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the hope that you give us day by day, hour by hour. 
knowing that our lives rest on your shoulders. We thank you so much, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much.